This week on the Electronic Intifada podcast, Palestinians go on a national strike to stop Israel's plans to ethnically cleanse tens of thousands of Bedouins from the Nakab Desert. Also, an interview with activist Sabrine Shalabi on the recent appointment of Department of Homeland Security Chief Janet Napolitano to be president of the University of California system, and how students organizing for justice in Palestine are fighting back against further efforts to repress activism in California. There's definitely going to be a lot more solidarity work, and there's going to be a lot more intersectionality with this common enemy and news from the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, including pension fund giant TIAA-CREF dropping SodaStream from its investment portfolio. We'll hear from Anna Baltzer of the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation. Regardless of TIAA-CREF's reasons, um, I think what we're seeing is that it is increasingly unacceptable to associate in any way to invest in, to sell products that are produced in illegal Israeli settlements. I'm Nora Barrows-Friedman, Associate Editor for the Electronic Intifada in Oakland. This week, Palestinians in cities, towns, and villages inside historic Palestine, or modern-day Israel, from the Galilee in the north, through the so-called Triangle in the center, and all down the coast, organized in protest and strike on Monday, July 15th, against Israel's Prower Plan, the plan which passed a first reading in the Israeli parliament last month, aims to expropriate more than 800,000 dunams, or about 200,000 acres of land in the Nakab or Negev Desert. Israel is looking to expel between 30,000 and 50,000 Palestinian Bedouins from their land. The Electronic Intifada's contributor Lina Al-Safin wrote on Monday that according to Israel's plan, 35 unrecognized villages, villages that Israel refuses to put on a map nor provide them with basic services, would also be demolished, culminating in an unnervingly blatant ethnic cleansing campaign that will occur under the nose of the international community. These Palestinian Bedouins will be expelled to 1% of the land. Al-Safin adds, quote, Monday, July 15th was designated as a national day of rage and anger strike by Palestinians from the river to the sea. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank also planned for protests to take place on Monday. The main protest took off from Ben-Gurion University in Be'er al-Saba, or Beersheba, the largest city in the Nakab, at 10 a.m. on Monday and marched to the building of the Bedouin Settlement Authority, the Israeli governmental administration which plans for the forced relocation of Bedouin communities. Fourteen Palestinians were arrested, including two minors. Al-Safin adds in her report that Israel seeks to take advantage of the vast lands of the Nakab by building towns and cities for soldiers who will be closer to the military training camps, which Israel has transferred to the south of the country. This plan comes at the expense of the indigenous population, who they mischaracterize as, quote, invaders and nomads. Amir Kweider, a student at Ben-Gurion University who lives in the unrecognized village of Zarnuk, spoke at a recent seminar about the reality of Bedouin villages in the Nakab. Bedouins are forbidden to house in any permanent structures and risk immediate demolition if they do so. Quote, there are no paved roads, no schools, no electricity or water grids, no telephone lines, and no sewage system, he said. The difference between the Jewish settlements and Arab villages is the embodiment of racial discrimination, even though we both are Israeli citizens. 
Those were excerpts from a longer report by Lina Alsafin. For much more on this story, visit electronicintifada.net. We now focus on California. In the 2012 to 2013 school year alone, seven University of California campuses held votes on divestment from companies that profit from Israel's military occupation of Palestinian land. Of those seven, three passed and upheld divestment resolutions, and student activists say that whether votes pass or not, the door of discussion on Palestine has been opened wide. Yet over the past year, the California state legislature has taken an increasingly anti-democratic stance against students across the state organizing for universal rights and justice. According to a recent statement published by Students for Justice in Palestine West, a coalition of Palestine solidarity groups on campuses on the West Coast. They add that on May 31st, over 30 legislators from the California State Senate and Assembly signed a letter to the University of California Board of Regents and Chair condemning and discouraging divestment measures on campuses. SJP adds, quote, This is not the first time members of the California State Legislature have tried to silence student democracy. Last summer, the State Assembly passed the H.R. 35 resolution, which labeled criticism of Israel's illegal and discriminatory policies against Palestinians as anti-Semitic and recommended broad censorship measures of UC students and faculty advocating for Palestinian rights and justice. SJP West has written a strong rejection of the California State Legislature's letter. Meanwhile, Janet Napolitano, the outgoing Department of Homeland Security Secretary, has been appointed as the president of the University of California system. As the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security and previously as the governor of Arizona, Napolitano aligned with Israel lobby organizations such as the Anti-Defamation League and oversaw the deportations of countless undocumented immigrant families. She served as one of the architects of the so-called Secure Communities Program that deputizes local law enforcement as deportation agents. Anti-deportation and immigrant rights activists are collecting signatures to ask the University of California's governing body, the Regents, not to confirm Napolitano. In a letter, anti-deportation activists say that, quote, Secretary Napolitano is the architect of the deportation machine that has resulted in over 1.5 million deportations during President Obama's tenure. She has no expertise in higher education, only in family separation, and no place in our public university system. In addition, the San Diego Faculty Union has written an open letter of concern to the UC Regents, urging the governing body to extend the period of consideration before voting to confirm her. Napolitano is due to be sworn in today on Thursday. Protests are being planned outside the meeting in San Francisco. On Wednesday, Sabrine Shalabi, an activist and organizer within SJP West and a graduate of UC Irvine, spoke to the Electronic Intifada about the current situation for students involved in Palestine solidarity organizing on college campuses in California and what the appointment of Janet Napolitano means for students at the University of California. Here is that interview. Sabrine, so if you could start off by talking about the recent series of repressive acts taken by the California State Legislature against Palestine solidarity activism, uh, talk about the letter that they submitted in May, and then SJP's response. So basically, um, within the last, let's say, like three, four weeks of school, you know, students are usually busy with finals and whatnot. Uh, the Jewish um, Public Affairs Committee, I believe, 
pushed a letter through the legislators uh, asking for signatures, and it was basically against divestment and then reaffirming the region's decision, saying that they won't divest from countries that the U.S. doesn't deem genocidal back in 2010 after Berkeley's divestment. And it gained a lot of signatures from both Democrats and Republicans and all over the scale. SJP decided to write a response to that, basically telling the regions that the legislators should stay out of student democracy and not try to repress the whole divestment movement. Can you remind us a little of some of the background of the kinds of repressive actions in California, uh, especially with H.R. 35, the resolution that the State Assembly passed about a year ago, which conflates Palestine solidarity activism with anti-Semitism? The biggest tactic that's been used across California in order to repress any kind of um, Palestinian activism is equating any criticism of Israel to anti-Semitism, which the letter does, and which has been used, as you said, in the past with H.R. 35, um, the resolution that was passed condemning any speech against Israel, basically. Um, And this form basically just shows that students don't really, I mean, they're being, certain types of students, like especially divestment, it's been constantly um, repressed, constantly put down for the last, like, I would say five, six years since like Israeli apartheid weeks, since criticism of Israel started happening. Sabrine, seven University of California campuses presented divestment resolutions this year. So how is the current climate of repressive actions faring against this turning tide within the student activism movement? Yeah, um, so tactics like HR 35 and all of these other like things used to repress like big Israeli gr- Israeli um, lobby groups getting involved in student politics and all this other stuff hasn't really hindered the divestment movement. Um, it's been growing a lot, especially within the last year. Like you said, seven UCs presented divestment resolutions, which was really huge. Uh, three UCs passed it, UC Berkeley, UC Irvine, and UC San Diego. Um, and just this morning, the person who sponsored the UC Berkeley bill is now going to be the student regent designate, which is also a big success for divestment. So there's definitely been a tide turning, despite like the letters or any kind of repression from the state, which are being pressured, of course, by Israeli lobby groups. Uh, students have constantly been speaking, and now it's growing into hopefully a statewide movement which I feel like is going to grow even stronger next year. Talk about the response by Students for Justice in Palestine West to the California State Legislature's letter a little bit more. And has there been a response to SJP's response yet? From what I know, there hasn't really been a response to our SJP West response. Um, But basically, our letter is, the way we countered it is we framed it exactly like um, the letter that they sent, by, and all we ha- we, cha- we did was change a few words, um, and it kind of, like, just dispels everything that they were saying within the letter that they had sent to the regents, signed by all the legislators. Um, so, yeah, that was basically how that letter was framed with an introduction to, like, how we, how, like, SJP groups are being repressed, how this is a limitation to freedom of speech, how this is interference to student politics and the UC system. 
SJPUS has been growing really, really strong in the last two years, and I feel like our constant, like, attack as, like, a statewide attack, like, with the California legislators and HR 35, SJPUS has been, like, growing into a stronger coalition. Let's move into talking about the appointment of Janet Napolitano to head the University of California system as president. What has been the response within student activism groups, especially student groups working on Palestine issues? Well, it's a large concern. Basically, like, I personally believe that they couldn't have chosen anybody worse, her being, you know, the Secretary of Homeland Security and Governor of Arizona and being responsible for the largest amount of deportations in our nation, um, aligning herself with all of these Israeli lobby groups. So, of course, it's, like, of great concern, and um, students have planned a huge rally, and it's a coalition of not just SJPs, um, immigration rights groups, streamers, um, and a bunch of other groups that are in solidarity. And what kind of message does the appointment of Napolitano send to students, uh, especially those working for the rights of undocumented peoples, the rights of Arabs and Muslims at a time when Islamophobia is so prevalent and Palestine activism is under so much scrutiny right now on UC campuses? Basically, the message is that the UC region, like, really don't care about anything the students have been saying for I don't know how long because Janet Napolitano basically has no experience in education. Um, Everything that she's aligned herself with is everything that students have been against. Uh, And it just shows that, you know, the system has been very resistant to all of the activism movements that have been going on with ethnic studies, with the DREAM Act, with divestment. And it's just going to make things, hopefully, yeah, it's going to make things harder. And how are students planning on organizing if Napolitano is confirmed? Well, the first step is going to be the rally tomorrow. But, well, right now it's basically building a coalition against this appointment and trying to make sure that she doesn't get the position. But if a miracle happens and she doesn't get the position, that's good. But most probably she will be. But and students are still going to, you know, keep the solidarity works going, keep the activism work going, making sure that she's not, you know, deporting students or and like students can feel safe on campus and all these other issues that she's going to bring up with her appointment. And finally, Sabrine, I know that Students for Justice in Palestine has been working very closely with student groups working on immigrant rights issues and the issues of Latinos and undocumented peoples in California and across the U.S., How does SJP plan on building those alliances and building that solidarity and support in the coming year? I feel like um, with the new appointment, I feel like she's like the biggest point of intersectionality because she's like against everything all these groups are doing. So there's definitely going to be a lot more solidarity work and there's going to be a lot more intersectionality with this common enemy. but our coalitions have been building really strong, especially with the growing divestment movement. I feel like a lot of um, groups have been able to um, support it or align themselves with it or help with it, which has been really, really nice. Like SJP West and SJP are starting to like grow into other issues and basically, you know, the roots of like all oppression and whatnot. And if you work from the roots up, people will start seeing like all the surface level things is something that stuff that they can work on together, like divestment. And most of our solidarity has come from students of color groups. And I believe that those 
bondages are going to stay pretty strong. Sabrine Shalaby, you are a former student at UC Irvine and an organizer with SJP West. For more on the story, you can visit sjpwest.org or electronicintifada.net. Thank you so much for being with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. Thank you for having me. And now we go to news from the global boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. In a statement released earlier this week from the activism group We Divest, U.S. pension fund giant TIAA-CREF announced it has dropped SodaStream from its portfolio. SodaStream is an Israeli company which makes carbonated beverage products, and its factory is located inside an illegal Israeli settlement in the occupied West Bank. We Divest states, quote, As of March 2013, financial data posted on TIAA-CREF's website valued shares in SodaStream at $9,444,292. According to financial data available today, it is zero. Sidney Levy of the campaign stated, quote, No matter the reason TIAA-CREF dropped SodaStream, we view this as a conscientious decision. While SodaStream may be a profitable investment, it is socially bankrupt, operating out of an illegal Israeli settlement in the occupied West Bank. Meanwhile, this victory against SodaStream doesn't mean that TIAA-CREF is off the hook. On Tuesday, July 16th, We Divest says that human rights activists in more than a dozen cities across the U.S. protested at local TIAA-CREF offices, calling on shareholders at the annual meeting to divest from companies profiting from Israel's human rights violations. TIAA-CREF has refused to allow a vote on divestment to take place at the shareholders' meeting. Quote, this is the second time that TIAA-CREF officials have refused to allow investors to vote on the shareholder resolution, which calls on TIAA-CREF to divest from companies such as Veolia, Caterpillar, and Northrop Grumman, which profit from segregated services, home demolitions, militarized violence, and other human rights abuses, says We Divest. The press release adds that SodaStream is the second company targeted for divestment by international human rights groups to be dropped by TIAA-CREF. In 2012, the pension giant took an important step towards its claim to be a socially responsible pension fund by dropping Caterpillar Incorporated from its social choice fund. Caterpillar's bulldozers have been used for countless and egregious Israeli human rights violations in occupied Palestinian Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. In that case, TIAA-CREF's decision was based on the downgrading of Caterpillar stock by ethical investment ratings agency MSCI, which said in a statement that one of the key factors in Caterpillar's downgrading was, quote, ongoing controversy associated with the use of the company's equipment in the occupied Palestinian territories. Joining us to talk about the significance of the move to drop SodaStream from its investments portfolio and the ongoing struggle to disinvest from the many other companies that profit from Israel's occupation is Anna Baltzer. Anna is with the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation and is on the We Divest Coordinating Committee. She also works on nationwide grassroots SodaStream campaigning. Anna, thank you so much for being back with us on the Electronic Intifada podcast. I'm so glad to be back, Nora. So this is a very significant move by TIAA-CREF to drop SodaStream from its portfolio. What do you attribute to this move, and what does this signify in terms of broader activism around divestment? Um, well, you know, we cannot be sure the reasons um, why TIAA-CREF divested from SodaStream. We do know that SodaStream has performed very well over the last 12 months market-wise, um, well above average. Um, and yet TIAA-CREF decided to divest. 
Um, regardless of TIKF's reasons, um, I think what we're seeing is that it is um, increasingly unacceptable to associate in any way to invest in, to sell products um, that are uh, that are produced in illegal Israeli settlements. Um, and um, we, we're seeing this as, as part of that trend. Whether TIKF will admit it or not, um, you know, we, we are not privy to those internal conversations. Anna, talk a little bit more about what SodaStream boycott campaigning looks like right now across the U.S. and across the world. What are some of the actions that have really been sustaining this campaign? Yeah, so SodaStream is one of the most popular boycott, divestment, and sanctions BDS targets um, nationwide. There are campaigns happening in at least 20 cities um, at various stages of their of their development. Um, and SodaStream really sort of um, exemplifies corporate profiteering from the Israeli occupation. It, it exemplifies the complicity and, and participation of Israeli companies in Israel's gross violations of Palestinian rights. Um, companies like SodaStream exploit Palestinian land and resources and labor, and activists around the country see um, SodaStream as, a, as, a, as an excellent way to show um, to, to educate people about the occupation um, and to make those links to show that this is not just happening across the world, but it makes it, it local. It brings it to um, Seattle or um, you know St. Louis or wh- whatever city you are in, um, that these products that are on your shelves are produced in an Israeli settlement, um, so to streamers profiting from the violation of Palestinian rights. And so activists are using all kinds of um, creative you know, campaign strategies and, and tactics um, to to get the word out with with some success, um, people protest local vendors, um, educate consumers to try and dissuade them from purchasing SodaStream, do flash mobs, um, and um, you know there was a the um, a, a really neat contest where people made um, ads that were spoofs of the ad that SodaStream was putting on during the uh, 2013 Super Bowl, um, really attracting attention to and uh, to to the the underbelly of SodaStream, to the real SodaStream. Um, it's it's public relations strategy has been to try to sort of deflect attention from the reality that it is a a deeply regressive company, a colonial outpost, by by touting sort of progressive values like valuing the environment or, or workers' rights, when in fact, um, it, in itself is, is um, like I said, deeply regressive and is um, participating in, in, in egregious human rights violations. Um, so SodaStream is a, is a really great way for us to bring the realities of what are happening in Palestine to our local you know, towns and cities across the country, which is what activists are doing. It's very widespread. In fact, I'm involved in a network of different campaigns around the country um, that are coordinating with each other, talking about different corporate targets, talking about different tactics that are working, um, trying to you know, keep, keep our campaigns local, but also learn from each other. And we see it growing so much that it's hard for me to sometimes keep up with all the different ones that are springing up around the country. So um, SodaStream is a very, very controversial product, and I think we're going to see it continue to be so. And I think that, that TIKF's decision to divest um, may be related to that and certainly comes at a time when it is really no longer acceptable um, to, for there to be business as usual with settlement uh, products. And that was Anna Baltzer with the U.S. campaign to end the Israeli occupation and the We Divest Coordinating Committee. For much more on this story, you can go to endtheoccupation.org or wedivest.org. And for much more on the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, visit our activism and BDS blog at electronicintifada.net.
And that's it for our weekly Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features and reviews, pointed opinion and analysis, and action alerts by our team of correspondents and bloggers, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. This week, be sure to check out our newest features, including Yara Saadi's op-ed, Hasbara Courses in Israeli Universities Exposed in a New Report. Though small, Palestine's queer movement has a big vision. Israel's wall recreated in a London art gallery. Why won't Egypt let me go home to Gaza? Gaza Palestinians still stranded abroad by Egypt's restrictions. Why is the New York Times reporting on Israel so timid? Pinkwash, greenwash, hogwash. Ali Abunima on Israel's use of sex and marketing to distract from apartheid. Andrew Caddy's why the boycott can't be limited only to Israeli occupation and settlements. David Cronin's Has the EU Really Caused an Earthquake for Israel? And much more. At electronicintifada.net, you can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and we're now on iTunes. So be sure to subscribe and have the EI podcast automatically downloaded. On behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening. Thank you.